Here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be uh, in our Bibles today. If you don't have a Bible, um, we have a Bible for you. There's some, uh, some gentlemen coming down the way. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can keep it. Um, it's totally yours. Feel free to steal it. That's the one thing we're cool with you stealing. Um, but we're going to be in our Bibles today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to the book of uh, Acts. Uh, Acts is right after the book of John, the Gospel of John, and right before the book of Romans, Paul's letter there. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up, and we're going to be there. And here's what we've been talking about. We've been going through the book of Acts and just seeing the beginnings of the early church, how God spun everything to existence. And, and, and the, have you ever just had those moments where you kind of connect the dots, and all of a sudden it just kind of leaves you speechless? And it, it hit me this week, it's like, Oh my gosh, as I read this story, the only reason any of us are here today is because of what happened in the book of Acts. None of us would be sitting here. Like we would totally not be here if God had not done what he did. And so I want everybody to understand this story in a way is kind of your family history, your spiritual family history. This is looking back onto it and understanding this is where we all came from. Now, what we've been trying to do is to show the progression of Acts 1.8. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, look, when my spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Not just power to do anything, but he said power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. And so all of the book of Acts is explaining verse 8 and how the gospel began to spread all over the then known world. Now, you had different people that did it. We've been walking through like Acts 8 and Acts 7, and we've been talking about guys like, like Stephen, who was stoned, the first martyr that ever was, when he preached and, and it just enraged everybody as he began to proclaim the gospel to people. Philip, who got to lead the eunuch to Jesus Christ, that got to go be big amongst the Samaritans. But one of the key guys that's really important to the book of Acts is this guy, Peter. If you haven't studied Peter much, I would highly encourage you, especially if you're someone like me who constantly suffers with foot and mouth disease, there's hope for us. There's total hope for people like us. Praise God. But he used to be this guy that just, in some ways, I don't know how else to say it, he was always this puppy dog with Jesus that just kept saying dumb things. He was the guy at the very end got intimidated by a little slave girl. But man, when the Holy Spirit hit his life, watch out. I think we always call him the bumbling idiot, but we miss the book of Acts. He was no longer a bumbling idiot when the Spirit of God grabbed his life. God began to use him powerfully. In fact, in some ways, he became the key that began to open up all these different doors. He was the key in Acts 2. He was the key when it came to the Samaritans. Is that all along the way, God wanted him to understand. It was the promise all the way back to Matthew 16 that Peter, man, you are little rock, but it is on your faith, the rock, that I'm going to build this. And whatever you close will be closed. Whatever you open will be opened. In other words, now, all throughout the book, it's just a fulfillment of Matthew 16, of just unlocking the different doors. All kinds of people are coming to know Jesus. I mean, think about it. You look at this thing. Sorcerers are hearing about Jesus. Eunuchs are hearing about Jesus. Jews and Samaritans, all these different people are for the first time encountering the God of the universe through Jesus. And the one guy that's consistent that God keeps using along the way is Peter. Now when we get to where we're at today, we're gonna see the last door unlocked and I love this. And this is what I mean, you connect the dots. 
It's finally the Gentiles. Those of us in here, most of us are probably not Jewish. If that door would have never unlocked, we would have never been sitting here. It would have stayed as this little faith that was happening just amongst the Jewish people and the the half-breeds, we called them over the last few weeks, the Samaritans. When that key opened, suddenly the gospel for the first time was going to get proclaimed and it was going to be the fulfillment of Acts 1-8. It is going to go to the ends of the world. But God still had to do some work. Have you ever noticed that the way in which God sometimes prepares us for things that we never thought we'd have to do, but yet we were going to have to do it anyway? This last couple weeks ago, I was, I was uh, traveling, but I ran into a guy, and we, we were having this phenomenal conversation, and anytime I have a conversation with somebody, I'm like, all right, God, if you want Jesus to come into this, this is great. I'll just keep talking with him, and so we're talking back and forth, and he began to tell me about his brother who was a chemist, and I'm like, oh, well, that, yeah, I used, I used to be a chemist. I know you, you may not realize it, but I, I, I actually got a degree in chemistry, and you're like, no wonder you're so boring. <laughs> and so I just looked at him, and I go, you know, this is a question I always ask people. Where do you think we came from? He starts to talk to me about where we came from, that God created the world. And I'm like, yeah, totally, I'm with you. And he spun the whole thing existence. And then he pulled back and he's letting everything kind of carry out its plan. And I just said, well, okay, so then how did it get screwed up? And he goes, oh, people. I go, I'm with you, dude. And I said, so then how does it get fixed? He goes, well, people. And I looked at him and I go, and that seems strange. You said people caused the problem. Then you think we're going to fix the problem. I said, well, how does it all end? And he said, well, you know, it's, I think just the good people, you know, God will receive in, and the, you know, the bad people, that, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen to them, but I think that's what's going to happen, and then we're going to exist. And he kind of had the angel in the cloud thing, us playing harps. And I said, where did you get this? And he said, you know, one of my main dudes that I love to read is Thomas Jefferson. Now check this out. Three weeks before, I had read a biography on Thomas Jefferson. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> well, I looked at him and I go, did you know that some of the things you believe Thomas Jefferson didn't believe? He goes, really? And I just start to break down for him some actual, some ideas in which Thomas Jefferson and him disagreed. But I said, you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because really, who, who's Thomas Jefferson? Who are you? Who am I? And we begin to talk through just what the Bible says about where do we come from? How this all gets screwed up? How's it being fixed? Where's it all going? And at the very end of it, he starts laughing with because we were just having a conversation. And he goes, you know what? He goes, you're a great conversationalist. And I laughed at him. I said, well, if you knew me, I'm one of the biggest hermits on the planet. I'm really not that great. He goes, no. He goes, I was so afraid of you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> get in line. I mean, <laughs> I go, why? He goes, well, I'm a homosexual. And he said, the first thought in my mind is just, that's another angry Christian that's going to sit down and talk with me. And we just begin to sit down and talk about who Jesus Christ is. And he says, do you think I'm going to hell because I'm gay? I said, you're not going to hell because you're gay. I said, you're going to hell because you don't know Jesus. It's the cool, just the way God prepares us, isn't it? Now, what was fun out of the book of Acts is the way God's going to prepare Peter. And so if you got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to see not only how he prepared Peter, but this guy Cornelius, who's going to become important to our story, is the first Gentile to ever come to know Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 1. 
And first we're going to talk about who's the one that's going to receive this message. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, verse 1, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Okay, stop for a second. Before you read on, don't tell me that wouldn't freak you out if that was you. Look at his response, verse 4. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him and have related everything to them. After having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, here's what I want you to catch in this. Not only does God prepare us for being able to share Jesus Christ, but the other cool thing is, is that God prepares the person we're going to talk to. See, I think sometimes when we do, when we share Jesus Christ, the fear is, is that somehow I've got to carry the show. That is such a lie from the pit of hell. One of the greatest realities about me sharing Jesus Christ with people is what Paul talked about in Ephesians 1.4. We were chosen in him before the foundations in the world. That means that somehow in this, in a way our little minds can't comprehend, is that really the one who saves people is not us, but it's God. Isn't that awesome? You see that in the book of John where Jesus is like, look, the only people that come to me are the ones that the Father sends me, but the, oh my gosh, the one that the Father sends me, I will turn none away. And he does it according to John 10 so that now more people might be brought in to praise his name. Now go with me to Acts 13. Let me show you a little further just in case you don't believe me. Look at Acts 13, verse 48. Just a couple pages over. In this particular case, <coughs> they're arguing in Antioch kind of just for Jesus. And it says, and when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, they began rejoicing God and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So what does that do for our evangelism? Well, some people say, well, man, if God chooses, then who cares? Are you kidding me? If God chooses, that means I can just start sharing Jesus with people and there's not a big, you know, chosen sign on their forehead where you walk up and go, oh, you must be chosen. How can I share Jesus with you? No, that's not it at all. That means that I have a confidence that I can just be honest with people and engage with them and trust that the same Holy Spirit that rescued me, even though I was dead in my trespasses and sins, is also going to rescue others that are dead in their trespasses and sins. It just brings confidence. And what God is doing in this man's life is, is he's just tilling the soil and preparing the moment I'll never forget one guy that I shared Jesus with one time. It was, it was one of those just no-duh things. 
and I, I'm, I'm going to meet with this dude, and, and I'm like, oh, you know, who is this guy? I don't have a clue who he is. And I sit down across from him, and we begin to talk about who Jesus Christ is. And he looks at me, and he goes, look, let's get past all this kind of chitter-chatter thing. What must I do to know that I have a relationship with God? I go, well, dude, how'd you, how'd, what happened? He began to talk about sitting in a hotel room thinking about killing himself and he began to grab the Bible, the little Gideon Bibles in there and just started to read. He goes, it doesn't make sense, but I need someone to explain it to me. He had gone to Florida to take a shipment of drugs from Florida to Arizona. In the meanwhile, the guy riding with him while he's in Louisiana, he's supposed to kill and get rid of and deliver the drugs the rest of the way. Suddenly I'm like... Oh, God, make this go well. <laughs> make this go well. And he said, I don't know why, but I just left, and I left because I couldn't kill the guy, and I left him in Louisiana, and I ended up here. What do I need to know? Now, I'd love to tell you, oh, man, my gospel presentation, angels sang. God had prepared the man. My job was just to come in and share Jesus. This is what God is doing in this man's life. Now, he's not saved yet. We know that because go back to chapter 11. Look at Acts 11. Peter is going to later kind of recount what happened to him in Acts 11. And in verse, I think it's 17. I should have written this down. Anywho. Why can't I... Anyways, he talks about the fact that he's not saved yet. Just trust me. I'll find it here in a little bit. Dang it. Don't you hate that? Hey, if you're new here, we're always highly prepared. Everything goes smooth, all right? But Peter has to say to these group of people, he wasn't saved yet. Now, here's the question. Why wasn't he saved yet? Because he hadn't gotten the message. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't just use angels to save people? Like, why don't he just do that? Why does he have to do this people thing? He does it because that's the way he's chosen to convey his message. And so he says, you need to go get Peter. So he's prepping him. Now what's crazy about this guy that we're talking about, Cornelius, is that he is a part of the Italian cohort. A cohort was a man of about 6,000, or a group of about 6,000 men in the Roman army. They were chilling in Caesarea, which was the place where Herod built these army garrisons. He calls him a centurion, which means he was in charge of 100 men. And he was this guy that was just seeking after God, and he just cries out to him, and God says, go get Peter. In other words, when God calls a guy, he's going to always give the path. But then there's another dude, Peter, that he's got to prepare as well. Go back to Acts 10, look at verse 9. I love this. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, and he just began to pray. Did you ever wonder what he was praying? Like in that moment, I wonder, what was he praying? Question. And it says he became hungry, important to the story, because about what had happened. And he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, 
he fell into a trance, meaning he just he was he was carried away in some way by God, and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth, and it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time saying, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and things were taken back up into heaven once again. Now let me explain this a little bit. Peter is a Jew, in some ways, probably a bigoted Jew in some ways. It'd be similar to the way kind of uh, whites were in regards to African Americans kind of in in the early part of of, uh, the United States. There was just a bigotry that was between them. Now, the fascinating thing about Peter is the way that God is slowly preparing him to be around these Gentiles. As he's moved him out, they've kind of run into the Samaritans. They've run into these different groups of people that are slowly beginning to to shape him and mold him to be able to let these Gentiles in. And the way that Jews saw Gentiles is, is they were the Gohim. They were the ones to not have anything to do with. And they begin to make up stories about the Gentiles. But what God is going to deal with is the idea of food laws that had separated the people. Now in Leviticus 11, you'll see this in the way that God began to institute food laws within the people of Israel. But listen, this is what the purpose of the food laws were. The purpose was in Leviticus 11 and also in Leviticus 25 is to to kind of carve out for himself a people that he would put on display. It was a way to keep them separate from the Gentiles. See, so much of the Old Testament was a come and see. Come see our temple. Come see our land. Come see everything about who we are. But it was very little about going out to them. God wanted his people separate. And and I believe he still does today, just in a different way. We'll talk about that later. But the food laws were meant to protect his people, to keep them holy as a people to display. Now, all of a sudden, God comes into this and says, Peter... That part of the story is over. Take and eat anything that you want. When I was living in Cheyenne, Wyoming, there was a group of people called the Worldwide Church of God. Do you remember them? Anybody remember them? They kept the whole law minus the sacrificial system. They had never eaten ham, never eaten a good lobster before, never eaten anything like that before. So these people, suddenly the, the leader of that group, a guy named Armstrong, decides, no, no, I was wrong. Go ahead and begin to do those things. So the people like were like, what do we do? And so my wife and I met this couple, and we invited them over to our house for, East, for Easter dinner. And you know how you don't think about where people are from until all of a sudden when you're passing the ham around the table and you go to hand it to them, and you're like, oh, how about some swine? And I remember them looking at us going, we've never eaten this before. I go, do you want me to make you a turkey sandwich? I mean, I didn't know what to do. And the guy goes, no, we're free to eat. Now, anybody that knows me knows I love good meat. And I'm watching this guy eat swine for the first time. And it was a glorious moment. But we got done, and the lady said, oh, I still feel guilty, though, when I eat this food. It was just unheard of at this particular time. But God now, once the Holy Spirit came into them, the reason that he was protecting them is because he needed to change their heart first. 
He had to do a work inside of them. And once he did a work inside of them and the Holy Spirit began to land on them, now it wasn't about come and see everything about now the people are. Go and tell. You now have the greatest reality of the gospel that has transformed you in the Holy Spirit. You now can go into all the world. And so that by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, we can become all things to all people so that by all means we might save some. See, now God didn't have to huddle them off anymore. With this changed heart, they could go into the whole world. Now look down at the next verse, verse 17. It says, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what that vision he had seen might mean. He's not going, what the heck? Now let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered why God did something in your life? Why did he allow this to happen? Why did he allow that to happen? Why in the world? What is God doing? And all the while you can just tell he's sitting there wondering, what does this thing mean? What am I supposed to do with it? And here's one of the greatest messages I think we as believers can understand. There is nothing that happens to our, in our lives whereby which God doesn't have a purpose. I don't care if you've gone through some of the most horrific moments in your life. There is a purpose even to those most horrific moments. And God is not the author of sin. But he's the one that takes even the sinful things that happens to us and begins to use it to open a door into other people's lives. And that's what God is doing with Peter. God, what do you want me to do with this? I love what happens next. It says the dudes show up. And they're saying, where's Peter? As they stood at the gate and they called out, whether Simon, who called Peter, was here. And, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Peter, there's three dudes out there looking for you. Rise, go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. And Peter went down to the man and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for you coming? And they said, Cornelius is centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was, has directed by a, by, the holy, by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and to hear what you have to say. Now check this out. He invited them in as guests. This is nuts. This is the transformation that's happening in Peter. He suddenly starts to realize, and we're going to see this later, he's going to connect those three visions that he had to three people. That now all of a sudden when he, when he says this thing where what God has called clean, you're not to call common. Peter is suddenly starting to realize that God's not talking about food. He's talking about people. No Jewish man would have ever let Gentiles into his home. There's no way because then his home would have been defiled. But you can just see the change in Peter where suddenly as God is rescuing, he's pulling down these barriers that Peter had and in come these Gentile people. The question I was asking myself is what needs to be in my sheet that God lets down? Remember the homosexual man I told you I was talking to you about? Man, I used to say awful things about homosexuals. This week it just hit me some of the things that I used to say. Why? Because I didn't love them. 
See, that guy, the reason he ran into a gracious conversationalist with a man who was homosexual is not because Todd is such an enlightened man. It's because God had to change my heart. See, I don't think it's just me. I think there is a vast bigotry inside of the church of Jesus Christ inside of the United States towards homosexuals because we don't know what to do with them. But they are just as fully created in the image of God as we are and just as available to the gospel as we are. But yet sometimes we create this chasm between us and God might have to say, oh, take and eat. Because it's connected to people. Sometimes I sit down and I hear the religious right on certain news programs of which I won't talk about. The way we talk about illegal immigrants or migrant workers coming in. How dare them come into our country, the problem that they're causing. Wouldn't you? I'm not saying it's legal and I'm not trying to fight that battle. But they're here. What if we reached them? Instead of looking at them like a pariah. Maybe it's your father-in-law who's a jerk. Maybe it's your kid who's a punk. Maybe it's your boss who needs Jesus. There's these biases that just build up into our life. And God is just slowly taking them down in Peter's life. To the point where finally he brings these people into his house. The next day it says they got up. It says Peter had to choose some dudes. He's like, y'all, somebody needs to go with me. We got to see what's going on here. So he grabs some guys, it says the following day. They started taking off, verse 24. They got into Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, wouldn't this be weird to show up on this? Hi, Peter, this is, uh, this is Chloe, and this is, you know, and suddenly there's just these people staring at you, all these Goheen, these Gentiles. Not only that, verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Okay, don't tell me that wouldn't freak you out. And I love what Peter does here. He lifted him up saying, stand up, I'm just a man. That's all I am. Just get up. And as he talked to him, he went in and found many people gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit with anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. I don't care who they are. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Why did you send for me? Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying on my house at the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Sure, you might be a good guy, but good guys don't go to heaven. You need to hear the message. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, a guy that worked with dead animals that Peter was staying with. No Jew would ever do that either. I sent for you to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter, preach. (laughs) Peter must have been going, no way. God, how did you organize this? I love what he does. So Peter opened his mouth and said, 
Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Are you created in the image of God? Then I don't care. Are you disabled? I don't care. Are you this? Are you that? Are you whatever? You're created in the image of God. God does not care. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him, in other words, those that are being naturally drawn to him in some kind of way, are acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, and then he just begins to unpack the gospel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know that this happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in this country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, and he gets done. What's going to happen? It says, before he even finished, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard. The believers who among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And if you want to hear good stuff on that, you can kind of go back into uh, March through uh, uh, May through that. We talked about what happens with these tongues. But just Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he chilled with them for a few extra days. Let me unpack what happened there. God had tilled the soil and prepared the way. And the only thing left was the message. Peter just cast out the message I think one of the problems and it's, it's in Cornerstone it's in every church we don't cast out the message and I don't want us now to feel guilty because I don't think now the way to get everybody to go do it is to feel guilty but what was interesting to me is I talked to that particular man that was homosexual he began to evangelize me in regards to gay marriage I mean he was so excited to talk about it he's like not only that and he's like evangelizing me and it's cool I, I didn't come to that but I feel like we're not excited about Jesus just to talk with people about Jesus and engage with people in regards to Jesus. Part of it is that I think we have fear. Like, man, is God really preparing the way? Is he really tilling the soil? Part of it is I just think we've lost in some ways our excitement about Jesus. I mean, man, the other day after a good friend of mine had bought a new car, he couldn't wait to come over, man. And he's like showing me it. It's one of these really nice cars and it's got a big computer on it. He's walking me all through it. And he's like, man, he goes, I just wish everybody could have a car like mine. And I'm sitting there with total greed going, yeah, me too. He was evangelizing me and I almost bought into it. And I realized what a holy, phenomenal, spiritual man I am, not needing a car like that. Totally kidding. Why? Because he was excited about the car. 
See, the reason I don't want you guys now to leave today and feel guilty is I don't think the way that we spur people on is through guilt. I think the way that we spur people on to talk about Jesus is just to put Jesus in front of people and say, just look at him and enjoy him and now go tell people about him. We can fuel that fire. Now, granted, is there repentance? Is there some guilt we should feel? Is there sin because we haven't shared Jesus? Of course. But I just think we just have to get excited about Jesus. I want to just preach about him and talk about him. He's the one that Peter's later on when he comes to Jerusalem. He's the one that had transformed their lives and made them different and given them a whole new path. The moment Jesus Christ gripped our lives, the only thing that we have to fuel is our passion and our desire for him and then watch out. It just comes out of our mouths. We can't help but to talk about it. So let me throw this at everybody this week. If you're someone that doesn't talk with people about Jesus, deal with it. Like this week, deal with it. A few weeks ago, I talked about to not share Jesus is actually a form of sin. If you need to confess your sin, then confess your sin to Jesus and enjoy the absolute wonderful forgiveness of God, which, by the way, only fuels your fire to begin to talk about Jesus. And then find people and books in your life just to get excited about Jesus. And then I would say this, watch out, because the moment that that pump begins to get fueled, God is gonna bring people into your life. The people you never saw before. Man, all this week, whenever I've been studying this thing, almost everybody I talk to now is to talk about this. Now, probably some ways they think I'm a freak, but that's all right. Yesterday, they tracked me, and I'm sitting out with a guy, and we're just in the middle of the field, and, and as we're rapping back and forth about life, you know, he began to ask me about my kids, you know, and he portrayed his kids as perfect, and I love my kids, but my kids aren't perfect, and neither are yours either. And he goes, well, like, how do you deal with your kids? And I go, oh, man. I go, Jesus is how I deal with my kids. He goes, really? I go, you know what? There's those times where I don't know what to do, and so I just pray a lot. That's how I deal with it. He goes, so you're religious? I go, yeah, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, so you're, like, overly religious. I go, yeah, I guess you could say that. But we just begin to talk about Jesus. Why? Because I just love Jesus. And I can always tell when I don't talk about Jesus, I'm not fueling the fire that is supposed to be fueled within me so that that's why I don't talk. That's why today I don't want people to go out of here, oh, I don't, deal with your sin and fall more passionately in love with Jesus and go talk about it. That's the answer. Now, let me take a breath. Anytime this happens, though, whenever somebody does something, you know the church is going to get a little uneasy. A few years ago when I came back from my sabbatical, I remember me telling you the story about leading the guy to Jesus in a bar. Well, I got the most interesting email after that particular message about her, this lady and her family leaving Cornerstone because she couldn't handle it that her pastor was going into a bar. She totally missed the fact that a guy came to know Jesus. Anytime these things happen, this rub happens, the church goes, oh, I don't know if we want those people amongst us. They're going. In fact, they used to tell each other they couldn't go into a Gentile's home because they put aborted babies down the drain. So don't go in there. 
Look at verse 2. He shows up in chapter 11. It says, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. How dare you? What was that? That was weird. (laughs) Yes, Lord? (laughs) They criticized him. Let me just say this, and please everybody hear me. There's a way you can go past what what is acceptable on this. But if people aren't criticizing a little, then we're not doing our job. Church gets too comfortable. We sit around with a brother and sister coming in and we engage one another. How are you doing today, brother? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. It's the best time of the year. What time is it? Well, it's Final Four NCAA basketball. It must be the best time of the year. How are you doing, sister? Right? There's got to be tension in the church. See, anytime the gospel is proclaimed, we start to get people in here that we don't like. They start to show up in our midst in some ways and they start to cause tension. Why? Because it's supposed to happen. I always laugh, man, when I was a youth pastor and you really got serious about reaching high school students, that's when the church began to get a little uneasy. Do you know what they do in the church? They bounce a basketball. Missing the fact that three kids had just come to know Jesus the night before. It'll damage our facility if we're serious about high school students. Good. Maybe we need to damage some more stuff. In other words, it just gets tense, and Peter begins to recount it, and at the end of his recounting, verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, it says the people did. And then they begin to glorify God, saying, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And the door was opened to the Gentiles. And all of you are sitting here today because of this moment. Three takeaways from today, and I'll call it quits. Here's the first one. And I'm just gonna put these in the form of a question, if I can actually find them. There we go. Here's a question I've been asking myself. Do I even want to share the message of Jesus Christ with people? Do I even want to? Now just, I'm asking you that question just to ponder inside of your heart. Do you even want to share with people about Jesus? If you don't, and if you're like me sometimes, There's a way to deal with that. We go to God and we tell him, God, why do I not even want to want to share the message? What's wrong, God? Is there something in me? Search me, try me, know if there's any evil way in me. Is there anything whatsoever, God, that's keeping me from this sense of excitement about Jesus to begin to share with people? In other words, if you don't share Jesus with people, we should ask the question, well, why? Now again, if anybody leaves here today going, oh, that Todd, he just made me feel so guilty. Well, good on one level, but deal with it. That's the first one. What obstacles get in your way from sharing Jesus, and are you willing to do anything to remove them? 
Maybe it is that you need more information to be able to grow. Maybe it's that you're like me, who I used to be, in a, a terrible bigotry towards homosexuals. Maybe whatever it might be. What is it that right now in your life that you feel is an obstacle in your way and, that's your, and are you willing to remove them and work on it? In other words, maybe if we were to say, what's in your sheet? And here's the last question. Right now, where do you know that God wants you to go next to share Jesus with somebody? Who do you know that you know that God wants you to share Jesus with somebody? And don't let yourself off the hook. Man, there's this one guy, and I'll be honest with you, he is one guy I do not want to share Jesus with because I know he's a mental giant and I am the Pee Wee Herman of mentality. I know he's going to rip me apart and I know there are these things in the back of my head, but God keeps convicting me of him. Todd, just trust me, go share. See, those are the questions I've been asking myself coming off of this is what do I need to do now in regards to this? What is it that God is asking me to respond to? And I think those three questions are there. Amen? Amen. Raise the roof. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to go out and share Jesus with people. Can I get a what, what? (laughs) Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let me pray for us, then we'll sing. Jesus, would you help all of us in this room? God, there's all kinds of obstacles I put in the way of the gospel. Please forgive me. Father, there's all kinds of fears we have as a church on where to go or what we should do. We're fearful for our kids, and so, Father, we begin in different ways in our churches to build cocoons around our kids and cocoons around our life, all the while missing that these cocoons are keeping us from reaching people. Father, would you do the work that you did in Peter's life? Would you begin to remove those things that are keeping us and hindering us from sharing the message? Father, if it takes a vision, give us a vision. If it takes conviction, give us conviction. But Father, would you stoke in our lives, everyone in here, would we leave this week and be more passionate about Jesus Father, do we have the time just to know you and love you? Would we have people around us that would stir us and cause us to want you and desire you more? And then, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you unleash this group of people onto Simi Valley and Moore Park and Thousand Oaks and and the other end of the valley and their workplaces and the places that their kids go to play sports and the places that they go to play and the places that they go to eat? Father, Would we not be weird in any kind of way? Would we be conversationalists that are passionate about Jesus Christ? And Father, would we see and hear the pitter-patter of new believer feet around here? Would the waters be stirred because all of us in here have gained a new passion for you that is resultant in a passion for the lost? Father, do your work in us, I beg you. Don't let us off the hook on this one. In your precious name we pray, amen.